0: Well, kind of an interesting thing, but when I get to speak at conferences with guys my age, and we have to speak on some of the great issues of life, you know, vision, faith, God, death, uh, purpose, it's kind of interesting that when we see each other at breakfast the next morning, the number one question is never any of those big issues. The number one question is, how'd you sleep? What was the quality and duration of your unconsciousness? Now you could go out to our learning center during the week here with our little preschoolers, and you will never hear a three-year-old ask another three-year-old, how'd your nap go? (laughs) They've got more interesting things to talk about. Now you know you're getting old when you start to make noises when you get out of a chair. Or a car, right? Or you start talking to yourself when you're looking for a parking place. I know who you are. Yeah. wonder if this guy's going to move. Is he ever going to move? No, she's not going to move. I'm going to have to go on down. Or you ask people you hardly know, how'd you sleep? Well, listen to Psalms 4 verse 8, I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. That's my cure for insomnia, right there. Some of you don't sleep good, and maybe a little less drugs and a little more confidence that God wants you to be able to sleep peacefully and sweetly. And you need to just break that curse of insomnia and restlessness, and need to worry a little bit less. How many of us don't always lie down and sleep in peace? You wake up. You worry about a problem. You worry about a decision you've got to make you wish you didn't have to. You worry about a difficult conversation you've got to have with somebody, and you'd rather not. You worry about your kids, you worry about money. One lady said, the only thing holding me together is hairspray. I mean, (laughs) it just goes on all the time. And then in your imagination, if you allow it, you can spin out scenarios and make it even worse. We're in a short series called Christian Atheism. It's about how unbelieving a believer can become. And I want to talk this morning about, you know, I believe in God, but you wouldn't know it the way I worry all the time. Now, the message goal is not to use God so I can have a worry-free life. Frankly, I don't think that's completely possible. In fact, you'll never have a worry-free life if your primary goal is to have a worry-free life. God is not a means of anxiety avoidance. He will allow you into circumstances that will curl your hair. It's just a fact of life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor in Germany, and one of the most brilliant thinkers of the 20th century. He sacrificed everything to stand with Christ against the Nazis. He did it with a poise and a confidence that was quite remarkable under the conditions. And not because he was convinced that all of his circumstances would work out, because they did not. He was hounded, he was persecuted, he was imprisoned, and eventually executed in Dachau concentration camp in Munich, Germany. I've been there. I've walked in the snow in that place. It's sobering. But he was gripped by the reality of this Christ who demanded his entire obedience and who in turn gave him meaning and purpose and a security. Death could not intimidate, not in the least. I kind of wonder if church today in America is producing some Dietrich Bonhoeffers. Are we like the rest of the preachers in that day of Germany when they all decided to play safe, save their own life, and nobody took a stand for anything. Well when Bonhoeffer began his ministry, he quoted Psalms 121, I'm going to quote, and that was the first sermon he ever preached from this text. Psalms 121 says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon strike you by night. The Lord will keep you from harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore." I want to talk about the images the psalmist used in Psalms 121 so that you and I can begin to live in that reality. First, I lift up my eyes. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't just refer to your physical eyesight. It means to notice something, to become aware of possibilities, to discover your attention has been arrested or grabbed. If you're a single young man and a beautiful young lady walks by, your eyes have been arrested. You have lifted up your eyes. Come on, talk to me. Yes, you have. Or you're stalled on 281 northbound, and somebody in a car you could only dream about is going two miles an hour a little bit faster than you, and you said, oh my gosh, a car of my dreams. I wonder who owns that. Look at that car, and you try to inch up. Your eyes have been arrested. You girls could do it with a home or a beautiful new home somewhere, right? Something captured your attention directed your focus. Now, sometimes it's positive. God said to Abraham, lift up your eyes. All the land you can see, north, south, east, and west, I'll give it to you. Sometimes it's negative. We're told later that Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the hill of Mount Moriah where he thought his son Isaac was going to die. But always it means that your imagination has been activated. In Genesis 24, When Rebecca sees her future spouse for the first time, here's what it says. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes and saw Isaac and asked, Who is that man? That striking figure of a man. How many how many wives in this room today, when you first saw your husband, lifted up your eyes and said, Holy cow, who is that striking figure of a man? But after 40 years of marriage, you say, Where'd he go? (laughs) I don't know, but it's a beautiful Hebrew way of expressing one of the greatest of all human freedoms that not people, not the devil, not even guards in a concentration camp can ever take from you. And it's the freedom to decide where you will place your mind, your thoughts, and your focus. Lift up your eyes. No matter where I am, in an isolation ward, a concentration camp, death row, whatever situation you're in, no one can take from me the power of my will to put my focus, and we're going to see that focus has to be on God. Lift up your eyes so I can focus my attention on my problem, what I don't have, what I need. I can focus my attention on my worry. I can focus my attention on my trouble, or I can focus on God. Whatever's going on in your body your bank account, your world, your home, your office. You can focus your attention where you want to right now. David said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Now, we tend to think of the hill country as beautiful, and and they are. But in the context that it's given here, hills were problems. Hills got in your way in their mode of travel in that day, and they meant trouble. This is why Isaiah says, in the day of the Lord, When God straightens everything out, He says, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rugged places will be made a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. See, because in the ancient world, hills were problems. They could be beautiful. They could be a place of danger where thieves, robbers, wild beasts could hide. You couldn't hide on a flat plain, but you can hide in the hills, and it could be fatal. So you might want to substitute for the word hills, circumstances. I will lift up my eyes. My attention has been gripped by a circumstance, by a problem perhaps beyond my control. Uh, Maybe it's a health problem. Maybe it's a money problem. Maybe it's a job problem. Maybe it's a a health issue, or maybe it's secret. Uh, Maybe it's a relationship problem. And we see them, we think, how in the world am I going to make it over that hill? How in the world am I going to deal with this? Where am I going to find help? And even before I face the external problem, whether it's a job or money or whatever it is, I've got this internal spiritual problem about worry that can suck the life out of you. Now, you look at people who never lift up their eyes, and they just walk slumped over. Worry's killing them. Did you know worry comes from the German word, vergen, which means to strangle, to constrict, to choke, and that's worry. It, it's not our normal concern about fixing a problem or dealing with a problem. It's that I'm choking to death on this problem. This, this is where it gets bad. This is, just turn to the person next to you and put your hands on their throat and gently squeeze <laughs> until they turn red. No, 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 don't do it. But worry chokes the literal life out of you. And that's why God who's the life says, I've come that you might have life. Jesus said repeatedly that this kind of worry is never God's will in anybody's life. It never is. So he said, I'll lift up my eyes to the hills. I see my circumstances. I'm not ignorant. I see them, but I think, where does my help come from? (laughs) Well, not the government, not the NFL. Just threw that one in. God bless the Cowboys today. My, My help comes from the Lord. Well, come on, honey. Let me. I want to say something that's funny, but she won't let me. If you'll sneak up to me, I'll tell you, all right? I'll tell you what it is. Anyway, where was I? I forgot there. I, I was going to say something about Tony Romo, but it's okay. It's all right. Uh, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, not from the hills, not from me, but from God. The word help is used over two hundred times in the Bible, and most often to describe God. God is our helper. Moses named one of his sons Eliezer, E-L-L is the word for God. My Father's God was my help, Moses said. God is my helper. But this is also kind of haunting news for me and self-sufficient people in our culture of performance today, because it says, I don't care how tough you are, strong you are, you need help. We all get to places we need help, and worry takes a lot of forms when we deal with it. Sometimes it's the pain of anxiety, but worry can take the form of workaholism or paralysis. I just can't move. I'm so consumed by this problem, I'm unable unable to take action. People try to avoid worry by medicating themselves, uh, addictive substances, achievements, or uh, doing their little uh, addictive work on the internet, but it comes to everybody. And you can—I suppose those of us who are type A personalities can kind of go into the control mode. I control this thing. But boy, reality starts with this recognition one day in your little life. I'm not in control much of anything. Not really. Can you guarantee your body will stay healthy? No, you can't guarantee that. You can work hard. You, you, You can eat right, exercise, take supplements, go to the doctor every month get a checkup, but that clock's ticking. You ever notice that? Some of you need to look in the mirror. Things have fallen. (laughs) Can you control the economy? Not one of us can. You can work hard. You can save. You can give. But ultimately, the economy is way beyond human power. It can affect me in ways I had nothing to do with. Right? Right? There were people who made investments in, 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 in uh, annuity programs, and then that person invested all that money with Bernie Madoff in a, unknowingly in a Ponzi scheme, and it's all gone. They didn't do anything wrong, but it's gone. They did the right thing. And so, I'm saying, ultimately, you can't control 100% anything. Can you, can you make your spouse change? Thank you. The correct answer would be no in all cases, but God can change your spouse, and that's good news. My wife can't fix me. Only God can fix me, and you'll enjoy people a lot more when you quit trying to fix them. That's not my job. I can't fix anybody. Can the leopard change his spots? Can the Ethiopian change his skin? God says no. Only God can do that, but He can do a good job of it. So we want to trust in ourselves, our strength, our gifts, our will, our education, our money, our social skills, our network of people. But one day, you and I will face a hill where none of that stuff can help. And on that day, you'll want to know where to lift up your eyes when it's beyond your control. I will lift up my eyes. Where does my help come from? David said, my help comes from the Lord. Now, a real important question is, what kind of help? Well, I could summarize it in one word used six times in these few verses. It's the word watch, W-A-T-C-H. Over and over, the psalmist says, he who watches over you, he who watches over Israel, he will watch over your life, he will watch over your coming, he will watch over your going. Six times that little word watch is used in reference to God being our helper. And the truth is, whether you know it or not, From the Psalms, from Jesus about life, God is a watcher. You and I are the watchees, but He's the watcher. And I'm kind of the being, and so are you. We need to be watched over. If nobody's watching over my little puny life, I'm doomed. But God says, listen, you have an incredible watcher watching over you. Over and over, He says, this God is watching you. Whatever's going on in your life, in your body, in your marriage, in your money, with your children, He's watching you. You don't have to be afraid. You are not alone. I'm with you. I'm conscious of every—I know every bird that falls, Jesus said. My Father knows it. Every hair on your head is numbered. God notices. it. Some of you took a shower this morning. It took your big toe. You took a few of the hairs that fell out, and you said, God be with you till we meet again. You know, God says, I got them numbered. Well, I mean, He's showing me every minute detail of my life. He's aware. Who was it? Bette Midler sang that song. I thought it was so beautiful. God is watching us. God—this is not a good singing voice, okay, but you get it. But it's a beautiful song, and He is. He is. He says, the Lord will watch over your coming and your going. When you wake up in the morning, when you go to work, when you go out to play, when you come home at night to rest— to relax, to sleep. He says, the Lord will watch over your going out and watch over your coming in. It's a beautiful way to say He's watching you every moment. He doesn't go to sleep. He doesn't slumber. He's very aware. Nothing takes Him by surprise, but it does take me by surprise sometimes. Then He says, the sun will not harm you by day. If you're traveling in the desert in the day, then you've got some real issues. The sun, the heat, sunstroke, dehydration can be fatal. But He says, the sun will not harm you by day. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon strike you by night. I always thought that moon strike in us seemed kind of strange. But in the ancient world, the moon was often associated with mental impairment. Even in our English association with the word lunar having to do with the moon, we get our word lunacy and lunatic. Don't look at your husband right now, don't. God says, in your waking, in your sleeping, in your coming, in your going, through your day, through your night, from the sun, from the moon, God, the watcher, never slumbers, never sleeps. He's the shade at your right hand. That's where your bodyguard would be. He's not just there. He's at your right hand. He's like the Secret Service around the president. He's right there uh, doing a lot better job watching you. You see where that joker jumped the fence and got in the White House? Say we can't even protect ourselves completely. And the result of all this is He will not let your foot slip. Now in the ancient world on a journey, remember, mostly by foot, occasionally by camel, and even they were carrying baggage, but you were walking, you, you crack an ankle, you slip with your foot, and it could be fatal, especially if you're alone. He will not allow your foot to slip." Now, that does not mean what I hear a lot of people say they think it means. It does not generally refer to being kept physically safe or financially safe, although God does do that, but not always. It's generally a way of talking about leaving the path of obedience. In other words, in the Old Testament, He talks about the path of righteousness. That's the path of doing God's will. And a classic example of this is Psalm 73, verse 2 and 3. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The psalmist is saying, holy cow, I I was in bad condition. I almost gave into an attitude to a life of envy, of bitterness, of anger, of ingratitude. My foot almost slipped. I almost lost my foothold. He's not talking about climbing a mountain here. He's talking about getting off the way of God. I was so frustrated by what I saw with the wicked or people getting doing well who don't deserve to do well, I almost envied them, became arrogant, and slipped. God says, I won't allow your foot to slip. So He's not saying when He says that, I will keep you from all problem, all pain, all trouble, all discomfort, all loss. Anybody had any pain? Anybody had any discomfort? Anybody had any problem? Anybody had any loss? Yeah. I've been robbed twice. You think I don't pray? I don't believe the blood of Jesus covers me, the angels of God surround me. I can quote it faster than you can look it up. But I I lost. I didn't lose anything eternal. I just lost stuff that was temporary. This is important to know. What God is saying, what God is not saying. God's not going to let you lose anything that's eternal. But He doesn't promise that, I mean, if the great apostles had pain, some were crucified, some were—Paul was beaten. Paul was uh, imprisoned. Paul was uh, faced robbers. He quotes, talks about his journeys. You, you don't think Paul was kind of tight with the Lord? I mean, he went into the third heaven, saw Jesus face-to-face, wrote 75% of the New Testament. I mean, the dude's cooking. He wrote on faith. Some of you Spirit-filled people believe that if I, you know, if I go to church and I speak in tongues and I give my tithe and I do a little serving here, then I won't ever have any pain. Well, I, I got land in Puerto Rico for sale. Then if that's what you believe, that's just nuts. You're living in la-la land. That's not what God promises. And boy, the crowd went real quiet. Nobody's throwing money at the stage. Nobody wants to hear this message. I'm sorry, but it's right there in the Bible. So he's saying he won't let my foot slip. God's not going to allow anything to happen to my eternal soul. That is not to say God will not allow any outside force or person to take or harm that which is not eternal but is temporal. So he says nothing eternal is ever at risk in your life. But everything temporal is always at risk. Your job could be at risk through no fault of yours. Your body can be at risk. Your money can be at risk. Everything temporal, but nothing eternal, which is why St. Paul said, who was martyred, by the way, what then shall trouble me, cause me to go into deep anxiety and worry? Danger? Hardship? Famine? Recession? Persecution? Sword? Death? No." He said, none of these things can separate me from the love of Christ. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. So the, I've got to renew my mind. I've got to lift up my eyes knowing my help's going to come from God. Got to keep my focus there. I am, I am not cushioned, but I am kept. He's watching over me. And so, I'm aware that you could feel a lump and it'd be a stage four in all probability. Let's believe we've had many people fight it, pray, get proper medical treatment, and overcome it. But we've also had a few funerals with people who had just as much faith, but they did not—God did not choose to intervene. But they died in faith. Uh, Johnny Hugley and I were over with a member of our church the other day. He was a great, strong man of faith, Uh, and of course, my image of him is— Huge, six-five or something, big, robust guy, always serving, but he's been battling cancer for for like two and a half years, and it's ravished his body. To talk to this man, you would think he's perfectly healthy. His mind, his spirit, his thoughts, his words are as strong as mine are at this moment. His body is just decomposing. I held his arm, and his little wrists and arms are, look like a, a, an Auschwitz concentration survivor. And I thought to myself, he's got cancer, but cancer doesn't have him. He, it doesn't have him. His spirit, his faith, it's strong. And yeah, that's why Jesus said, don't fear somebody who can kill your body. Fear him who can kill the soul, which is God Himself. God says, your soul is never at risk. Whether you've been amputated, or whether you had a landmine blow off a leg, or whether somebody robbed you, or, or just God says, nothing about you that's eternal. My presence, my word, my love, how I see you, my justification for you, my promise to always be with you, even in death, I will, I will be there with you and never forsake you. None of that's ever at risk. So we ought to be very bold people, and if we don't focus on that, we could kind of get ourselves into a little anxiety and high-gear worry and get a wedgie and get all worried. That's what the young people say, so I'm trying to be hip here. Am I cool? I don't know. I never had a wedgie, so I, I don't know. But I understand it means to get tight and tense and, and all torn out of shape. I remember the last time we were robbed, and I remember thinking, first, you're in shock. And then secondly, as a, as a male, I'm mad. I want, to, I want to take care of business, but there's no business to take care of. It's been hours, and so everything is gone, and the person is gone. There's absolutely nothing you can do. And I remembered I, I didn't get anxious about it at all. Uh, did you say, were you mad? Well, of course I was mad. I'll show you. If I could have found somebody, I'll show you. Yeah, he can get mad. I, you, you would see. But I could not. It was not possible. But our, it's amazing how Scripture kind of just jumps into your head. And I, and I said, I'm okay. I'm healthy. My wife still loves me. I'm still productive. Got a good future ahead of me. Uh, the thief will restore sevenfold. I just quoted, but the word that came to me was, a man's life, this is Jesus, a man's life doesn't consist in how much stuff he has because all of it's temporal. And God doesn't promise you can't lose some of that. And occasionally, occasionally, sometimes you do. But it's okay, you're still, you know, whether you drive a Kia with 200,000 miles or a, a, a car of your dreams, that you can only imagine, you're still the same person. You're still beloved of God. You're engraved in the palm of His hand. He said, nobody can pluck you from me. You, that's, this is why I think I understand how these people under heavy persecution could, could, could stay peaceful and not be screaming and crying. How would you like to be a Christian in the Middle East right now? where they're beheaded. Can you imagine that the American doctrine of, not, nothing bad will ever happen to you? No, no, no. Uh, how would you explain that to them? See, we, I think we live in la-la land. I think, in general, God does oversee us, takes care of us. We get a chance to bind the enemy. But if God has a bigger and higher purpose for our lives, He doesn't promise He will never allow pain or suffering. There are people who have been imprisoned for years. But they didn't do anything wrong. But God's grace was there. God says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And even if you have to face death itself, He says, I will keep you in perfect peace if you'll keep your mind stayed on me. Isaiah 26, 3. Keep your mind stayed on Him. He's with me. His angels are here. He came back from the dead. He told everybody, come on, come on, calm down, calm down. Touch me. Feel me. Take a look at the scar. You see, this is me. I made it. It's nothing to be sweating about. So don't worry. And I think that's why they turned the world upside down. They were unstoppable. In Revelation 12, it says, who overcame the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, those who overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life unto the death. Shoot, Americans love their reputation and what people think about them more than life itself. But He says, the moment you become—you don't care about dying, you become dangerous to the enemy. You become very dangerous. You know, you get a little Clint Eastwood on you. Go ahead, make my day. And yeah, we will die, but they died in faith. They died victorious in faith. So I'm gonna fight the enemy. I'm gonna resist. I believe we have a little measure of control, but I never have total control. And I don't know God's ultimate plan for my life any more than you do. Not every detail. Or I'd be God. I don't know. But I know He loves me. I know He'll never forsake me. And I know He's promised I don't have to be afraid. He told me over and over, don't be afraid. Fear not. I am with you. Be Don't be dismayed. I am thy God. I will help you. So, whatever I have to walk, walk through, He gives me grace to go through it, and He goes through it with me. I'm going to be okay. And every time we've had a setback, I tell my wife. First thing I tell, the wife's a little more emotional than us. She's a little bit—she's security conscious. I understand women. Yeah, right, a little bit. Yeah, I think I do. But I know the first thing I go, in with my girls, and I'm sure every daddy here would say the same thing at first hand, it's going to be okay. But won't I say that? It's going to be okay. Don't you be worried about it. It's going to be all right. It's gonna, I won't allow confusion or disorder to settle around at all. I will not. I don't know what God will do or won't do. I know what He can do, and I'm believing for the best, but I'm not going to go into anxiety and worry. He loves me, and if I have a higher purpose, I'll recover. He will bring me back. He will set me on high. I will defeat the adversary, but I'm just saying to you, I don't have total control of that. Is that okay? So, I don't have to be worried about this thing. God didn't, and, and don't tell people, God, they must have done something wrong. I hate that when Christians say that. You tell that to the Apostle Paul while he's getting whipped. He must have done something wrong. I bet Paul come down off there and give you a new face. That's what I believe he'd do. Talk stupid, talk like that. No, no, Jesus suffered persecution as well. Who are you to say that can't happen to you? It just happened. Bad things happen to good people. We live in a broken world. That's a fact. But God says, everything I've given you, everything I've died for, every inheritance I've purchased with my death and resurrection is is non-stealable. Nobody can take it from you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be worried. And I am watching. I'm aware. I'm with you in this thing. And if it calls for great sacrifice, I'll give you great grace to be able to do it and to do it easily. And my friend's sitting on the couch with Johnny Ugly and I, bow talking, talking, just normal talk, faith talk, while an old body decomposes. You know, this is like a space suit. Your skin and all, it's, it's, de- all of you in this room are decomposing, may I tell you that? <laughs> Merry Christmas, joy to the world. You are decomposing. It's a space suit for crying out loud. But the spirit, my soul, is never sick. It's always well it's always right with God. It's sinless. It's, it's already been atoned for. That's what's beautiful. The only thing corruptible is my body. But one day we'll put on incorruptible, and we'll, we'll get, a, get a new suit, which is kind of nice, huh? And it'll fit you just really nice. So He's trying to get us to stop worrying about everything. I mean, we worry about stuff most people don't have, and we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. And I'm just trying to get you to calm down Certainly pray, do what you can, but just like a theft, when there's nothing you can— why would I waste another hour of my life force worrying about something I cannot change? What can I do? Get better security. (laughs) Tell my friends what I would never do again so they could be protected. God could still use me to bless other people, and God has blessed me with other people. But at the end of the day, He's involved in it. But I didn't go to panic and go to pieces and all. You know, you can always steal what somebody has, but you can't steal who they are, what they know, what they can do. You can't take that. So, so some of you all to get a little more happier, a little, little bit more excited, and say, this too shall pass. It will pass. Wanna, let, me, let me finish. Bonhoeffer wrote, peace is the opposite of security. To demand guarantees is to protect yourself. Peace means giving yourself completely to God without the desire to have security but in faith and obedience, resting and trusting in the hand of Almighty God. David said, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Bonhoeffer would lose so much from an earthly standpoint. Never got married, was engaged when he died, was in prison the last two years of his life. While he was still in his 30s, 39 to be exact, he was hung by the Nazi Gestapo in Dachau concentration camp, Munich, Germany. And he judged the sacrifice well worth it. An amazing life that's still blessing people all this time after his execution. His books, his quotes, his life are going on and on and on. His last words heard by a cellmate as he was leaving to be executed. were well, this is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. Bonhoeffer wrote a poem a month before he was executed. Here it goes. Who am I? People would tell me I would step from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire in his country house. Who am I? People tell me I would talk to the warden freely, friendly, clearly, as though it were mine to command. Who am I? People tell me I would bear the days of misfortune calmly, smiling, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really all that which other men say of me? Or am I what I only know of myself, restless, longing as though hands were compressing around my throat, thirsting for words of kindness, trembling with anger at evil and petty humiliations, tossing in expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at faith, and ready to say farewell to it all? Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. But whoever I am, you know, O oh God, I am yours. Wow. I will lift up my eyes to the hill. Where does my help come from? It comes from you, Lord. Whoever I am, all I know, all I hope is, I know I am yours. This is not a Hallmark Merry Christmas psalm, is it? This is not a promise that your life will be cushioned, but these are better words for a steeper, more noble journey in life. I will lift up my eyes to the hills, because there's another hill many miles away from this where David's writing, and it's going to be many years away from this psalm. And on that hill is a cross, and on that cross is a man, and on that man is all my sin, all my hopes, and all of yours. The name of that hill was Calvary, and the name of that man is Jesus. And He died so we could live. And the only way to really live is what Paul says, I die to myself. I die daily, he said. He's talking spiritually. I'm dying to my own flesh and selfishness and ambition so I can live. And so I die to my sin, to the smallness of my selfishness. I die to my fear of pain or being uncomfortable. And it's that to which I am called ultimately. We are not free from worry because we believe in God that He will cushion me from all pain. But we die with Jesus so we can live. For more information on Rick Godwin and product available, visit summonsa.com and click on bookstore.